0: You simply cannot get around self-denial in the New Testament. Everywhere that you turn, everywhere that you look, everywhere that you read, at the middle, in the middle of it, at the center of it, is the cross. At the center of it is self-denial. Let's just read a couple of those passages together. Luke 14, says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Paul writes to his disciple, Timothy, these words in 2 Timothy three twelve. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That is only a sample, a sample of what the New Testament says. That is but just a few of innumerable innumerable verses in the New Testament that call us toward a life that is shaped like a cross, calls us to a life that is of self-denial. That to follow after Jesus is to deny yourself. To go where Jesus has led us is to go away from what is natural and what is comfortable and what is easy and what is convenient. It is to put down what you are capable of having in this life. Assured of that which you will gain in the next life. So this week what I want us to do is something a bit unusual. I want us to open up to the exact same passage of scripture, Matthew chapter 16 beginning in verse 24, that we talked about last week on Easter Sunday. Last week we talked about the cost of discipleship, the cost of what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And today I want to take that a step further. I want us to not just look at the cost of discipleship, I want us to look at the cost of disciple making. Of what it means to take the mission of Jesus to be our mission, to take the will of God for Jesus' life, to be the will of God for our lives, to look at what it will mean if we indeed take up the very vision of Iron City Baptist Church to make maturing and multiplying disciples to the ends of the earth. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me now to Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28. By this time, you're already aware that this is the hinge point in Jesus' ministry. He is pressing on toward the cross. His disciples have looked at him and thought, this man is crazy as he's spoken of his suffering, as he has spoken of his death, even spoken of his resurrection. And Jesus here in Matthew chapter 16, as we saw last week, is looking right back at his disciples and thinking, and saying, Don't just work, think about my cross, think about your own. For where I am going, you will go too. So if you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 16, stand with me as we read our text together. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 24, God's word says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his inerrant word this morning. You may be seated. As we come back to Matthew chapter 16 this morning, I want us to remember how it defines a disciple. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, that is, if anyone would be my disciple, if anyone would go where I am going, if anyone is to be identified with me now and forever, this is what it's going to look like. That if you're going to come after me, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be one of those who knows my unique and particular love, then you are going to have to take up, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Now, if you remember back to what we talked about, we talked about how this is different than the way we're used to translating it, right? That that, that what Jesus is is talking about here is actually quite different than the way that we're accustomed to interpreting difficult passages like this. Often we come to passages like this and we think, all right, now what is Jesus really saying? I know that he's saying here that we're going to die on a cross, but we're not going to die on a cross. so, So what is Jesus really saying? That would be a mistake in this passage. Jesus is not here talking to his disciples about a metaphorical cross. He is not talking to his disciples about metaphorical self-denial. He is not talking to his disciples about metaphorical death. He is talking about a literal cross, literal denial, literal death. So the idea of cross-bearing here is not bearing the cross of a nagging mother-in-law. Or a... Rebellious child or an achy back, you know, people go through life and say, Well, that's just my cross to bear, you know how she is, or you know how that thing goes, right? That is not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that if you are going to be my disciple, if you are going to be one with me, if you're going to identify with me, be prepared to be treated like front by the crowd the way the crowd is going to treat me. Be prepared for the crowd in your life to look at you and to point and to shout, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! Be ready to lay down your life to be hated because of your allegiance to me. You see, the disciples' life is defined by a literal willingness to die for the Lord Jesus, right? That's what we said last week. A literal willingness to die for Jesus because you have identified and you have realized that Jesus is better than life. And that even if you die, like Paul said, death is gain for you. As this death is gain for you, you have been liberated with a spirit wrought freedom that allows you to live with a reckless abandonment here and now that I am resolved, that if it is to cost me my life because of my allegiance to Jesus, then certainly I can endure any momentary difficulty, momentary awkwardness, momentary struggle that I might experience in this fallen world as I pursue him. Brothers and sisters, what I want you to know this morning is that that is the material of revival. That is what revival is made of. Revival does not come because there is a yearly preaching series on the calendar that we casually attend. Revival does not come because we have figured out how to structure an event that is attractive enough that temporarily swells our attendance. Revival comes when the people of God and the children of God, the disciples of Christ, are so devoted to Christ that they are willing to lay down their lives and to live with a reckless abandonment regardless of the social cost to them. That they will do what Jesus has called for them to do. They will go where Jesus has called for them to go. They will share what Jesus has called for them to share. Because that is the hope of the world. And whatever cost may come, whether it be in career, whether it be in family, whether it be in community, whether you be taken to the county line and dropped off and told not to come back, every bit of cost is worth it because Jesus is better than all of that. See, that's what the book of Acts is built on. That's what the book of Acts is built on. Have you ever wanted to have an Acts-like revival in the church where thousands are coming to faith, where people are are sacrificing everything in their life and, and giving so that the church thrives and so that each brother and sister is taken care of? Have you ever wanted to see that unstoppable movement of the gospel? Brothers and sisters, that's not going to come through a sermon. That is going to come when the people of God lay down their lives in truth with a literal willingness to die so that now they might live recklessly for the good of the glory and the glory of God according to His Spirit that He has given you. That kind of freedom. Now the question that's interesting that I really want us to come to today is what is it that would cause the disciples to suffer? Have you ever thought about that? Why is it that that denial, self-denial, that the cross is not just a part of the ministry of Jesus, but in fact, a part of the ministry of Jesus' disciples? What is it that the world is going to hate about them so much? And in fact, in that, we see beneath the surface what the world is going to hate about us so much. If we can wrap our minds around what it is that's going to bring suffering into the lives of Jesus' disciples back then, then we can know what it is that's going to bring suffering into our lives now. In essence, preparing ourselves for the mission. Preparing ourselves for the days ahead. Knowing already on the front end, those areas of self-denial that are going to come into our lives. So what was it? Why was it that, that that James was beheaded and Stephen was stoned? Why was it that Peter and his wife were crucified upside down where the John, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was boiled in water and then exiled in agony on Patmos? Why was James the just put thrown down from the pinnacle of the temple, landing and breaking his legs only to be clubbed to death? Why is it that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Christian leader in Nazi Germany back in the 30s and the 40s was ultimately hanged having lived his life in the remaining years in a concentration camp. Why is it that right now on this day as we are gathered together as the Lord's people there are right now missionaries in North Korean work camps? Why is it that right now in the Middle East there are people live streaming the beheadings of Christian missionaries so that ISIS can show the world what they're about why is that happening? It's happening because they have resolved by the grace of God by the power of the Holy Spirit that they will make disciples. You see it does not offend the world if you want to have a privatized faith in your living room where you pray to Jesus in your heart but never talk about it to anybody else. That will not offend the world. That didn't even offend the Roman Empire. In fact, the Roman Empire was filled with other religions that they were okay with. Nazi Germany was filled with other religions that they were totally okay with. The issue of Christianity is that we believe that there is no way to the Father except through the Lord Jesus. That he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody gets to the Father except through him. That he is literally the hope of the world that has transformed us. And so we have laid our lives on the cross, taken up his mission, and ran to the corners of the earth, knowing very well it may cost us our lives. So is the government going to oppress us? I will not be quiet. Might I die? I will not be I will not be quiet. Might I be tortured? I will not be silenced. Might I go to a work camp? I will not hush. Might I lose my social standing? Might I lose my career ambition? I will not stop. For the call of my life is to move forward with the mission of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Brothers and sisters, if we are content... With a privatized faith in our homes that is simply us saying something silently in our hearts to Jesus every now and then, the world's not going to take offense to us. But in fact, we should question whether we actually know the Lord Jesus. Because the disciples of Jesus cannot hush, having laid down their lives to go into the world and to tell the world about the hope that they have in Christ Jesus. I mentioned to you a few minutes ago a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was really a remarkable man. He had come to prominence in the Christian world pre-Hitler Germany. And he did not back down even after Hitler took rule. It became increasingly obvious the atrocities of the Nazi empire that was to be the third Reich that was trying to be built by Hitler and all of his goon squad, and all of the churches, or not all of the churches, many of the churches were, were acquiescing to the, uh, to the Nazi empire, even some of them celebrating Hitler as he was, being, as he was rising to power. But Bonhoeffer's message stayed true. And even after he was outlawed and his seminary shut down, Bonhoeffer went underground. And he began to have a seminary that was in secret, a seminary that was, that was beneath the surface, training up men that would go to the front lines of Nazi Germany to make disciples. The men that Bonhoeffer was discipling, he knew many of them would end up in concentration camps and gas chambers, and yet they were intent to meet all the more. Bonhoeffer himself, seen as a spiritual instigator by the Nazi regime, was ultimately imprisoned in a work camp to be hanged for his offenses. One of the men that was there that day, the day that Bonhoeffer was hanged, was a doctor. And he gives this account of what he saw. I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor praying fervently to God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer and then climbed the few steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Brothers and sisters, if we are serious about the vision that we have, if we are serious about taking up the Great Commission, if we are serious about adopting the mission of Jesus to be the mission of Iron City Baptist Church, let us be certain that it will cost us our lives. Disciple-making requires your life. That the means by which we become a disciple is, as we saw last week, to lay down your life. But the means and the method are one and the same. That if we are to make disciples by the method of Jesus into the image of Jesus, we must teach them at the same time to lay down their lives by us laying ours down. We will not follow Jesus any differently than the way that we come to him. And we will not make disciples into the image of Jesus if we not continue that pursuit day in and day out if you want to make disciples if you're serious about spreading the glory of the lord the joy of salvation the truth of the deliverance of the gospel brothers and sisters you must lay down your life you must be willing to suffer and to die for the cause you must be willing to suffer and be inconvenienced for the call of discipleship that the Lord has brought on our lives through the Great Commission to every single Christian that has ever walked the earth. And I understand what that means. I understand how hard this is. I understand that this is different than many of us have come to conceive of Christianity, but brothers and sisters, what I want you to see is that everything else is a superficial pretender. This is historical New Testament Christianity, to lay down your life for the glory of Christ, temporarily in this fleeting life, in the here and now. It means that in your life, that there, it's going to make you vulnerable. If you resolve to be a disciple maker, you're going to be like Jesus, be vulnerable to betrayal of others. You're going to be vulnerable to discouragement and to sorrow and to disappointment. You're going to be vulnerable to the, to the sins of those who, who receive your correction, gentle and spirit-filled as it may be, as an offense to their flesh and coming after you. You're going to have people that, that you love more than life itself that may even turn on you. That's the risk of vulnerability. That's the risk of going deep with people in relationships. You're going to be vulnerable to people's bad days. You're going to be vulnerable to discouragement, vulnerable even to depression, as we see over the course of the Christian history. And be not confused that over the course of history, it has meant that the world will not like you. To be a disciple of Jesus... And to be a disciple maker of Jesus has meant that the world will not like you. The world will not approve of you. If you don't believe me, go to Cal Berkeley, go to the University of Tennessee, go to Harvard University. And you go there and you, you, try, you, you have your faith in your dorm room and see if they say anything to you. They will not say a word. But you have a friend that you love. A friend that you've went to coffee with. A friend that you've had over at your house. And you look at them and you tell them, I love you so much that I have to be honest with you. Your only hope is the Lord Jesus. Will you repent of your sin and place your faith in him and know that his way is better than yours? And at that point, you can be expelled from school. Why? The world does not like disciple-makers. To embrace disciple-making is to embrace suffering. To embrace disciple-making is to embrace persecution. Why is it that most of us do not make disciples? It is because we know that there are costs. We know that there is discomfort. And we have said no thank you. We know already intuitively that the world dislikes disciple makers. Brothers and sisters, lay your life on the cross and be a disciple maker anyway. Be a disciple maker anyway. It is no doubt a cross bearing work. It is no, lot, no doubt a cross shaped life that does this. It means you're going to get phone calls at two o'clock in the morning with somebody just falling apart and needing counsel. And that's not fun, and that's not convenient.
1: It means that you're sometimes going to
0: have people in your living room when you really just wish you could just be alone, right? All you introverts say amen. That's me. I'm I'm a loud person, but I'm also a person that kind of dislikes my space. You know what I'm saying? That's not the life of a disciple maker. The, 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 the call of discipleship, means, being a disciple maker, means that, that sometimes you're going to have to counsel people and talk with people about things that you wish you just didn't have to talk about. You're going to have to address things that you wish you could pretend just didn't exist. You're going to have to confront people and things, and nobody likes that, no matter how kind, no matter how gentle, no matter how well-intentioned. This is what it means to be a disciple maker. To be a disciple-maker means you're going to get right into the middle of somebody else's mess. Willingly. It means that you're going to get right into the middle of somebody else's stuff and say, all right, man, let's roll up our sleeves and go at this together. You got a bad marriage? Let's go for it together. Nah, I'm not really excited about dealing with it. Let's just deal with it, man. That's what it means to be a disciple. Let's go after it together. Let me show you how a disciple of Jesus would operate in a marriage like yours you struggling raising your kids? Man, I've already raised mine and I'm tired, but let's go at this together. Let's go at this together. Let's see what it means to raise a child in the admonition of the Lord, in the instruction of the Lord. You, you got issues at work? Man, I got issues at work too, but let's just go at this together. Let's talk openly. Let's hold each other accountable. You find yourself wanting to back down in difficult situations? Let's just, let's just resolve. We're going to talk about it every single week on this day. You find it hard to read the Bible? Let's read the Bible together. You're undisciplined in your prayer life? Let's pray together. To be a disciple maker is to be a burden bearer. It is to bear not just the burden of your marriage, but to help bear the burden of other marriages. It's not just to bear the burden of your parenting and your grandparenting, but that of others. To bear the burden, not just of your own sin and your own battle against sin and your own battle against the flesh, but that of others that you have invested your life into. It is to bear the burden of not just your own spiritual disciplines, but the godliness of somebody else who may even be less disciplined than you are. But can I ask you something? Does that not sound a whole lot like Jesus? Does that not sound a whole lot like Jesus? Is that not the method of Jesus' disciple-making? Is that not exactly how Jesus is investing his life to make disciples then and to make disciples today? That Jesus bears our weight, bears our weakness, bears our infirmity, bears our sorrows. None of which he has to deal with, but does so willingly that our lives might be changed. I don't know about y'all, but I come to the end of my life. I want to know that I've changed someone else's life. Not Not by my strength. Not for my legacy, but because their life in the gospel was worth it. Because their life, having been paid for by Christ Jesus Himself, is worth it. Whatever struggle it was, whatever pain it caused, whatever difficulty that ensued, I want to know that it was worth it. Are you burdened about kids and teenagers today? I am. Are you burdened that they they be able to walk against the current of this increasingly secular world? I am. But brothers and sisters, we must rise up as disciple makers to bear their burden with them. Are you burdened about the young mothers in our church that are trying blindly to fill their way through this thing, man? Just hoping they don't wreck the train, right? I am We must bear the burden with them. We must get right into the middle of their mess with them and commit our lives, even in moments of flakiness, even in moments of difficulty, to persevere and patience because that's what their changed life is worth. Are you burdened over the increasingly secular uh, direction our nation is going? Are you burdened over the fact that there are millions of babies being slaughtered in the wombs of their mothers? The answer is probably not another petition. The answer is that we would bear the weight of somebody else's burdens, bring them into our lives, and disciple them in a better way. That we would raise up disciples that will then go and multiply as disciples to teach. So this thing perpetuates to the, from coast to coast, from sea to shining sea. That it might rivet the world and be the material of revival that an ax like movement might start here. Why not? Why not? Yeah, we're in rural Alabama. Who listens to us? Probably the same people that listen to a bunch of fishermen. Way back in the day, (laughs) mending their nets. In the first century, there were a few thousand Christians. Within 300 years, there would be millions. They were being lit as torches in the emperor's garden. They were being hanged publicly, crucified sometimes by the dozens, to try to stomp out this movement. Yet they would not be silenced. Let us not desecrate their sacrifice. Instead, let us go in their tone. Let us go in their way, brothers and sisters. Will you step up? Will you step up? Will you be a disciple maker? Jesus in verses 25 and 26 does teach us that there is an easier path available, doesn't he? He says in verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? I believe with every fiber of my being that in that moment he was looking Peter right in the eye. Because he's getting right back to what Peter had already talked about. Peter had come to him, you guys already know, and said, Jesus, let it not be. You cannot go to the cross. You cannot die. You must go to the throne. Let us go with you. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You seek to preserve your life now and you will lose it. You seek to make an easier way in your life now and it will cost you forever. If you want what you see around you, you will forfeit what you cannot yet see. You want to be satisfied in the here and now? You will cost you forever. His point is not unmade. Peter, self-seeking makes you not like Christ, but like Satan himself. That is the satanic work on earth. To convince us that self-preservation is the most important thing. To convince us that self-satisfaction and self-sufficiency is the most important thing. But brothers and sisters, I tell you, that is not the image of Christ. That is the image of the enemy himself. So yes, there is an easier path. There is an easier path that is even cloaked in Christianity. But do not deceive yourselves for one second into believing that that is the path of Jesus himself. When the path of Jesus went all the way to Golgotha. The path of Jesus is one that is not worried about worldly appetites. But a spiritual passion. See verses 25 and 26 are about values. They're about values. Values. What do you value? Do you value the kingdom of God or do you value the things of the world? Do you set your mind on the things of the flesh, as Romans says, or do you set your minds on the things of the spirit? Do you want silver now or pavement with gold later? Do you want kingdom building now or do you want to be a part of the kingdom being built forever? Do you want treasure now, in the fleeting, in the temporary, to be destroyed by moths and rust? Or do you want treasure stacked up for you forever that I am preparing for you, says the Lord Jesus? Will you value the kingdom of God, or will you value the world, because you cannot value them both as a disciple of Jesus? See, that's what it means to be a disciple-maker. Maybe you're hearing all of this and you're thinking, man, I'm under conviction. And I say amen and I, I want to be a part of this thing. And I want, I want to be a part of changing people's lives. And I want to, I want to be a part of the vision and, and the things that we're taught. I want to do it like Jesus has done. I want to bring people and mold them into the image of Christ. I want that. How, though? How? It's really this simple. It's to train other people. To set their minds on the things of God so that they will betray the things of earth. And to do it by giving them a front row seat into watching you do it. To invite them to be a part of your life so that as you imperfectly try to live out your life in your marriage, in a gospel-centered marriage, that other people can come and just see what it looks like in your family. It's finding somebody that's just a step behind you and saying, come and run with me as I run after Jesus with all of my heart. As I delight in the Bible, come and delight in the word of God with me. As I seek to live as a a disciple maker, come and live with me. As I seek to go and to raise up my children in the admonition of the Lord. Come, just, just come with me where I'm going. I may, we may have some bumps along the way. I may even give you some bad counsel along the way. But we're going to know that we're running after Jesus with everything that we've got. Disciple making is no more and no less than that. And going after Christ with everything that you have. So that, they, so that others can watch and see the values that you have in your life, that they might have those things in their lives. That having seen you adopt kingdom values in your life, they adopt kingdom values in their own lives. Are you willing? That's all this boils down to is willingness. Are you willing? Are you willing to lay your your life on the cross Are you willing to lay down your life and your momentary comfort and your momentary convenience that those in your house might be discipled? That those in your church might be discipled? That those who have houses right close to yours might be discipled? That the co-workers that you see every single day might be discipled? Are you willing to lay down your life for the purpose of spreading the glory of the gospel? Now, maybe you're saying, Cody, I feel like it's been pretty heavy lately. <laughs> and it has been, hasn't it? It's been heavy. I feel, I feel like we talk in our church all about denial all the time. All about giving things up all the time. And man, it's just hard. When do we get to the good news? When do we get to the easy part? People are not going to want to come to our church if we keep talking like this. People are not going to want to be our disciples if we keep talking like this. That's what Jesus is getting at in verses 27 and 28. He's saying one day, one day it's all going to be repaid. Every sacrifice, every struggle, every costly moment socially, every costly moment in your career, every costly moment in your family, all of it is going to be repaid to the disciples of Jesus every single second of it. You see, brothers and sisters, we must not try to make disciples by sanitizing the gospel and making it easier and more convenient. We must tell them to count the costs. But we must do so by proving to them that in the end it will be worth it. It will be worth it. We must call them to count the costs and at the very same time to count the promises of God. On one hand, yes, will it cost me my family. On one hand, yes, will it be difficult. But Jesus has made it worth it. Did it cost you your promotion and your standing in the company? You will be, have standing as a co-heir and a co-ruler of the kingdom of Christ. Did it cost you the approval of your family? Jesus has made you his brother and his sister, his mother, or his father, as he tells us in Matthew twelve forty-nine and 50. Did it you, cause others to ignore you or to exclude you from friendship? You are a friend of God forever. Did it cost you the money you're owed one day? You're going to walk on pavement made from gold. Oh, Iron City, let us paint for the world a picture of a salvation that is prettier than flashing lights and easy living in the name of Christianity. Let us paint for them a picture of the Christian life that is shaped by the cross, triumphed in the resurrection to live victoriously at the table of Jesus forever, enjoying him. Let us not sanitize the gospel. Let us preach it as it is so that it might be seen as deep, rich, and worth it. There's a thought this week that has stopped me dead in my tracks. As I've thought about and I've meditated on verses 27-27. 28, I've thought about some of the people in my life that I've discipled and that have been less than easy disciples to disciple, costs that have been involved, difficulties that have been involved, but then it occurred to me. One day, I'm older than many of them, I know it's hard to believe, (laughs) one day I may already be in glory. I may already be with the Lord Jesus. I may already be seated there with him to the praise of his glory, enjoying him forever when, when one of my disciples comes there too. And I just sat there and thought, what will it be like on the day in which I see one of them get a crown? What will that be like? What will it be like when, when I watch that, that young man that kept blowing it and kept blowing it and kept blowing it and we just stayed after it and stayed after it and stayed after it and ultimately the Lord used him mightily to his name. Like, what's it going to be like when he gets a crown and I'm watching it? What's it going to be like with those people that I've, I've wept with, that I've set, slid sleepless nights over when, I, when we see them and then they get a crown? What about those people that we counsel and we, we go with them and man, we, we, we battle with them in the midst of the spiritual warfare? What about when they get their crown? Man, some of you, you've got young mothers in your group and you're trying to disciple them and it's, it's hard and they're, they're hit or miss. Just think what about when they get their crown? You've got young men that are being discipled, that, that are new in the faith, and are, are kind of red hot and ice cold and red hot. What about when they get the crown? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I imagine that if there are tears to be found anywhere in heaven, that in that moment they'll be streaming down my face. Because what a sight that will be to behold, to hear a disciple that you have made Hear from the very lips of the Lord Jesus himself. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Brothers and sisters, keep on. Keep on. It's going to be easy to quit in this race. It's going to be easy to throw in the towel in this fight. Keep on. Every sacrifice is worth it. Every ounce of suffering will one day turn to glory. Keep on. If you're not in the game yet, come this morning. Repent before the Lord. Repent before your church family. And resolve that by the strength of God, by the grace of God, you are going to get in the race. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer.